Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Sportsbet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for Sportsbet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally. There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. Sportsbet Montana is a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sportsbet Montana location or by using the Sportsbet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sportsbet Montana launched almost a year ago, and in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sportsbet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sportsbet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. No, this is Coulter Wall. He oh, just Coulter turned Wall. Uh, 19 too. like a month ago. Very good. One of the sweet girls at the country club. She remembers my name because it's the same as Coulter Walls. I'm Coulter Duanas. Ty Gregorak in studio with me. Tommy Evans back there playing you the good tunes. Missed you thinking the first hour of the show. Talked about college football. Why are some of the most prestigious programs in the country, why have they taken a dip? Why have others replaced them at, at their uh, seat at the table? We also talked a little bit about Mike Spike McGowan, a former Grizz player and Grizz team chaplain who abruptly passed away last week. And uh, a very melancholy rest in peace to Mike and uh, prayers to his family. Uh, we also heard from Ryan Tuto recapping the PGA Championship. He was there uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, watching the PGA Championship. And uh, we also did a little state softball as well. And we'll give you all the results from state softball as the tournaments across the state of Montana get underway. If you want to find any of that, you can find it on the podcast. Our number one podcast will be up here in, oh, about 90 minutes. Podcast is proudly presented by the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel, Blackfoot Communications, and Sportsbet Montana. We got a new phone number, 888-1029, 406-888-1029. It's easy. 
call us, text us. If you want to be involved in the show, you certainly can be. Tag Gregorak joining me in studio. Let's talk golf just for one one quick second because you were we were kind of talking about this off air. One last piece of 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 my take on Phil Mickelson's win at the PGA Championship was Phil has such a swashbuckling, uh, take no prisoners style. It's always been one, the thing that makes makes him such a fan favorite. It's also been partially his demise. I mean, when, before he won his first major, he couldn't really win it because he was always just going to hit it into the trees. I mean, he was like Mr. Second Place at the U.S. Open. I think he got second place at the U.S. Open like five times in, in seven or eight years. And it was always because of an errant tee shot or him trying to, you know, hit the crazy bending seven iron over the tree or whatever it might be. But I thought then that style in comparison to all of these young and up-and-coming guys, because I think that this this group of guys, the the under 35 group right now on the PGA Tour is it's as maybe not maybe not as good but as flush as it's ever been. There's more guys that can win tournaments right now than we've ever seen before. Whether it's you know Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, you know Jason Day used to be in the mix. I don't know what happened to him, but Dustin Johnson you know, on down the line, Rory McIlroy, but Phil was like the big brother yesterday. These guys were all, including Brooks Kepka, is one of the great competitors in the in major championship history, honestly, even though he's only been on the scene for a couple of years. He completely folded yesterday. And I just thought it was such a uh, an awesome display of true confidence. Like When you are feeling it, it doesn't matter how old you are when it comes to the game of golf. And Phil proved it, 50 years old, uh, the oldest major championship winner in PGA Tour history. It's it's amazing. I mean, that, that's the thing is that, you know, as I just told you, I spent, you know, I wake up, I turn on, you know, uh, get up or, or in the, which then goes to first take. And then I drive three hours to Missoula and I was just shocked how little airtime it was getting. Uh, right. Everyone was talking the NBA playoffs and shoot, they even were talking football, you know, with, with some of the, you know, next stars that are like, nope, I'm out. Um, you know, but I, I, like I said, just what he, what he did yesterday was like, like so much greater than just getting his, his sixth. He beat an entire field, essentially, of, of people in their prime. I mean, these guys are in their prime, the Rory's, the DJ's, the the Brooks, you know, and, and I think, like, if you're a betting guy, I bet the average gambler would have absolutely put their money on Brooks to, to, to end up winning that thing yesterday. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the odds for Phil Mickelson to win, it was like 25, plus 25,000. It was, it was even 16 to 1 coming into Sunday, even though he had the lead. It was right. it was plus twenty five it was plus twenty five hundred to begin or the plus tournament. Plus twenty five hundred. Yeah, but even even to even with a Sunday lead it was still plus sixteen hundred. And Kepka was four to one to to win it yesterday. Right. So even with a, a a Sunday lead it was still a long shot for Phil. It was it was incredible, which just which just shows you um how much of the game is between the ears. I mean, for because sure. again he's fifty, he looks great at fifty, but doing you know, doing what he's doing and, and I mean, you just, you sit, like, you sit and you watch these golf tournaments and you're like, you know, they, they, they're about to address one of, you know, a, a very, very important putt or some crazy shot out of, out of the rough. And you're like, I can't fathom the pressure because I feel, I feel it playing in a group of three other dudes drinking beer. And you're like, don't, right. don't, don't do it in front of these, you know, don't do it. And you, of course you probably do it. And, and you just sit there and go, wow, these guys are amazing athletes, you know? And I was one of those guys growing up and maybe it was because of, you know, my dad and, you know, family. And you never really uh, appreciated the kind of athletes they were. Like, nah, it's not a sport. Nah, they're not really athletes, you know, uh, race car drivers. They're not really at- the the way they can perform and what they can do uh, uh, with a golf club or or in a car going 200 miles per hour you're like those guys are not only athletes but they're so, they're the best athletes in the world they're just just different i would i would contend 
And, and we were talking about this last night because somebody asked me, who do, who do I think are the best athletes in the world? And I would say some of the top-level track and field athletes right now are certainly in the mix. But we were talking about football versus basketball. And I, I was saying that most guys in the NFL, certainly you need certain genetic gifts. I mean, some of the I mean, J.J. Watt, to be born 6'7", 290 like that, it, there's a lot of genes that go into it. But there's a lot of guys in the NFL that are made rather than born. I mean, they have a mentality and they have a body a, a little bit, but you can truly transform your body and you can become an NFL guy, especially a lot of guys you coach in Montana. I mean, there, there was guys with some baseline talent that then sure. that, that went to the NFL. I mean, Jordy Tripp, he was, he was very raw, and then all of a sudden he turns himself into a, a freak, and then he's getting drafted in the NFL. The NBA, I, I would argue that most NBA players are born. I mean, I mean, you have to you have to be born six ten, and there's very few people that are born six ten, seven one, whatever. Right. Like Joel Embiid is one in a billion, man. To be seven feet, two hundred ninety five pounds, and can run up and down the court with that amount of athleticism, it's a true genetic anomaly. I mean, there's right. very few people like that. But in terms of their skill level and their execution level compared to the common guy, or or even the most elite of the second tier of the common guy, I would argue the PGA guys are the best in the entire world. They're inc- they're incredible, and and it, maybe it's just because I'm 42 now, and it, you know you just you appreciate it the older you get because because yeah, like I said at the start of the show, I get to go play more golf now. Sure, and you just sit there and go, wow, I, the, how these guys do what they do with a ball from every every yardage out there, and just, again, just the the mental aspects of it, and, and you know ha- having a good caddy and just seeing the way. They, they interact with each other and, and the team, the teamwork there. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to watch and, and nothing, honestly, nothing would be cooler. Uh, and, and, it, you know, especially for our generation, but, but the generation that that's, that's winning all these in the, in the field right now, what, why is there so many good golfers out there? I mean, t- 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 Tiger, Tiger man. and Phil and, and you, you know, I mean, six, six major Phil might have double that if he wasn't in Tiger's Wheelhouse prime. Oh, I mean, for sure. What, what Tiger did from '97 to you know '07, basically, or whatever. I mean, for for that span, he was almost unstoppable. You know, and, and Phil. I mean, I know you said they'll always kind of be yeah. tied together, right? Sure. It'd be pretty sweet if Tiger could some, somehow come back from his late, latest setback. Man. And wouldn't it be something if you could see one more duel or one more showdown between those two in, at, at, in, in his early 50s and Tiger in his mid-40s? And it, it'd be pretty sweet. I mean, just, just you know, we're both kind of of the, I know I'm a little bit older, but what those guys did. Oh, man. I mean, it was just, it's so cool. I mean, you, you, you saw it coming off the course, too. If you were watching the end, did you see all the current golfers come up and, and she, he was getting hugs to oh, everybody sure. but i mean just just the respect no question and maybe even if you like the guy or don't those, the, all those guys that that are doing this for a living and and you know understand what he's been doing for so long you can't not just go wow that was unbelievable i gotta go hug this guy or shake his hand well there's no other sport like that either where i mean phil mickelson is 24 years older than jordan spieth i mean he's he's far old enough away to be his dad he's almost twice as old as jordan spieth right jordan spieth's 26 years old phil mickelson's 50 like right. he's twice his age there's very i mean there isn't another sport where you're gonna have that right like jordan no. spieth has watched phil mickelson since jordan spieth was younger than your kids you know what right. i mean like that's crazy though to then get to go compete against those guys not only could people then have the old guy be the one that's winning, right? Well, and you get you start getting to that age, and you know he's he's not getting any younger. They're starting to think about, okay, do I want to do this on the senior tour? Not 
winning the PGA championship, championship right? You know, and, and or the courtesy invite because I'm Phil Mickelson or or Jack Nicholas and get to go, you know, sl- slap it around uh, on the par three the day before, or whatever. I mean, what he did yesterday again. I'm just I was blown away that it wasn't maybe more uh, highlighted today in the world of sport. What it, what he did was incredible in my mind. Like I mean, like I know yours and anyone who really really loves golf. I mean, it just was phenomenal. Nuana is now 1029 ESPN Missoula, SWX Montana Television. You want to be a part of the show? Call us, text us, 406-888-1029. It's a new phone number, 888-1029. Give us a call, shoot us a text right now if you want to be a part of the show. Back to our conversation that we were having at the, the top. We were talking about football programs, three different tiers of college football programs. Schools like Oklahoma, who've never really waned, they've always been pretty darn good, and when they're great, their national championship great. Programs that have had great highs but then have had a hard time kind of getting their footing uh, in the modern era. And then programs like Clemson, Oregon, Boise State, Stanford that were, you know, brand names in terms of the institution but not necessarily great uh, college programs that then have become really darn competitive. I think when you look at Clemson, that's a pretty easy uh, definition as to why they've been so good. It's the coach. It's Dabo Swinney. He's the guy that's turned Clemson from sort of the the butt of the joke into the only team that can really take down Goliath, the only team that can compete with Alabama. You look at Oregon. Well, that's pretty pretty cut and dry, too. Uncle Phil. You know, Phil Knight comes to the table. He decides he's going to take on his alma mater. He's going to give him a bunch of cash. Clemson did the same thing, though, Walter. I mean, because, yes, Dabo's a, a good coach. There's no question about it. But they they invested slash reinvested back into that program and built them some facilities. I mean, we, we, we talk about, I mean, going back to my Big 12 days, Oklahoma State, like if we had to go to Oklahoma State in Stillwater or Baylor, I mean, you just hated the trip. But now if you go, you, I mean, you're walking up to these facilities, and you're like, right. oh, my gosh. And they did that at Clemson. For sure. I mean, they got a football facility, you know, Badabo's Funland or whatever they call it, where, <laughs> I mean, some of it, Oregon did the same thing. 100%. I, I mean, and, and then they got, I mean, because Mike Bellotti was a good coach. They had good teams there for a long time. But, but money and, you know, uh, Daddy Phil and whoever the guy or guys, gals at, at, at Clemson, I mean, they, they said, we, we know we know what, what our bread and butter should be, and that's football. And they, they invested in it, and it's reaps. I mean, you, the kids want to go to those schools. Sure. You, you can grow. You can grow up in, in. Uh, well, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is a great example. He, he grew up in Georgia, right? Georgia's got a good thing going right now. Kirby Smart's a great coach. He's going to be there a long, long time. And I know I don't think he was probably there quite yet, but... But Mark Rick was there. Mark Rick was a pretty darn good coach, too. I mean, it was still the local SEC program. It's Georgia football, and he went to Clemson. Right. Right. So, I mean, they're they're doing the right thing. And and like I said earlier, though, if you've got a guy, I mean, that that truly appears like they have zero interest in in ever leaving, and they just want to keep building and building and building on what they've got going, I mean, that's pretty cool. And, And you can see all these other programs that are Trying to find that guy that that you know is, is the has the magic to 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 get to get it at a high level, but then keep it at a high level. And you look at a program like Boise State. Boise State was in the Big Sky Conference from uh, 1978 until 1993, 94, I believe, and then took it to the stratosphere. And I think that what that's a point of conversation in Missoula and Bozeman and around the state of Montana a lot. Because there's always the talk of, well, what what if the big sky isn't the right... What if it becomes not the right fit for the Montana schools? Could the Montana schools move up? Well, Boise State did it is always the argument, but then there's always the other side. Well, Idaho did it too, and that didn't do anything for their football program that was positive. 
But Boise State, to me, I think is once in a lifetime, lightning in a bottle. Multiple different factors for Boise State to, to rise up. One, they had an entrenched tradition because they were very good at the 1AA level. They won the 1980 National Championship. They played for the 1994 National Championship right before they moved on. They had a foundation when Pokey Allen was there. Then he abruptly passes away. But then they've had dynamite hires in terms of coaches. I know Dan Hawkins was not a dynamite hire at Colorado, but he was great at Boise State. First, he had Dirk Cutter, then, then Dan Hawkins, and then Chris Peterson. That's three in a row that were very good. But then you also had a couple of confluence of events that were completely um, a complete anomaly. First of all, no one knew how much of an influence the TV rights and the money from the TV rights was going to have on all these football programs. Well, we saw Texas with the Longhorn Network and then you know the, the realignments of a lot of the conferences to make the Big Ten Network and the SEC Network. And now these schools are getting 20 to $45 million each for... TV payouts. Well, Boise State hit the freaking jackpot because they negotiated a TV contract where they could be on primetime TV independently and not have to share any of the money. So every time between 2000 until the last couple years that you saw the Smurf turf on TV, Boise State's getting that money and put it in their back pocket. They don't have to share it with Fresno State. They don't have to share it with San Diego State. They don't have to share it with San Jose State. That's their money. That is fully unique to college football with the exception of maybe Texas who has their own network. So that helped Boise really climb up. And then the last thing is no one could have predicted the Treasure Valley exploding like it did. I mean, Boise was once a, you know, little city and now it's I think the I think it's Spokane and Boise are the two biggest inland uh, Pacific Northwest metropolitan areas and I think Boise is even bigger than, than Spokane now so you can never would have predicted that either but I want to go through some of these programs that have sort of fallen and uh, talk about the reasons why because I think that you know Kansas State that's easy Bill Schneider was an institution he retires okay we'll see if Chris Kleiman and those guys can get it going but it, it's pretty defined why they aren't where they once were. Virginia Tech's kind of in the same boat. Virginia Tech had Frank Beamer. He was awesome. They haven't really been able to replace Frank Beamer since then. BYU is an interesting study because they still have the passion and all that, but I think that their regional location combined with some some unique things about the institution itself has made it so that, like, Steve Young's not going to go to BYU anymore. He, he's just going to go, maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, like you said, Zach Wilson was just the number two pick in the right. draft. So so they can still get players for sure. But but that one's a little bit more defined, too. But I think that it's the uh, the USC's and the Nebraska's and the Tennessee's and the Texas's of the world that are the most fascinating when it comes to this. And so let's start with Nebraska, because that's one I think is so applicable um, to, I think they have a lot of, uh, some of the similar challenges that Montana has. Uh, in terms of regaining their national prowess. So first of all, tell me what you think of this this theory. I think sometimes the biggest hindrance to a program reaching its once great heights is the fact that those once great heights exist. In other words, the shadow of the of the the prominence of the program often looms. And I think that's what we've seen. Like you were mentioning in Nebraska, all the coaching changes. Texas, too. Mm. I mean, since they forced Mac Brown out, Texas is just rehired. I mean, they're just hiring new guys all the time. Ever since Florida State, ever since Bobby Bowden retired, it's the same thing, coaching carousel. So, I mean, how much do you think that stability or lack thereof is the thing that's holding some of these big-time programs back? Because it's not resources and it's not tradition. It's it, it, it's something else. I, I think that I think you're exactly right, and, and I'll be honest. For the 17, 18-year-old kid, where at one time you were selling history and tradition. For sure. And 
I don't think there's as much of that now. I mean, of course there is. I mean, sure. you walk into some of these places. I mean, you can you can go up the street and, and you go down that Hall of Fame. And you're like, wow, this is cool. Now, is it that cool to an 18 year old kid, or are they more? Uh, the Hall of Fame is really sweet, but are they more interested in the Champion Center for sure and, and the stadium? Right. Um, you know. You know. And and so. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, Tom Osborne had such a good thing going there where they were getting some of the best players in the state. You know, you, you know, the attitude and, and the mantra here in Montana of kids grow up wanting to be Grizz or Cat, right. depending on what dad did or sure. uncle or grandpa or sure. my cousin was an outside line, whatever. Tom Osborne was getting some of the best players in that area to walk to on. To walk on. Right. right. They were not losing those guys to Iowa. They weren't losing them to many places ever. I mean, in, in case, uh, I mean, they, they they sold come walk on and earn your way on this team and you're going to win a championship eventually. And that's what they did for a long, long time. I mean, I remember some of the fullbacks that I used to have to go against, the the Joel Makovickas and those guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they... A lot of those guys started their careers at walk-ons and became dudes because they had a great weight program and, and then obviously the history and tradition. I mean, to this day, and they've been kind of down in the dumps, but to this day, you go to Memorial Stadium and you're like, wow, this is, in, this is incredible. The sea, of red, sure. the sea of Red is unbelievable. And it's, it's just crazy. I mean, I, I think stability has a huge, huge part of it, which is why, you know, I got to believe Husker Nation or Big Red, whatever they call themselves, I got to believe they're starting to get antsy. Like, okay, we've, we've, we've done this. We've been through, we've been cycling coaches in and out. And then we bring the golden boy back and they're still, still struggling pretty good. Why is that? Because like you said, they've got the resources. And I think it's just a matter of those teams that we were just talking about, the Ohio States, uh, Clemson, Alabama, they're 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 not staying local anymore. Exactly. They, they don't have to stay. Kids aren't don't have to stay in the region. That's not even a thing. In, 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 in really, in, in playing in front of your state or your hometown or your family can you know get to games. They want to go. They want to go play. I think kids anymore. Uh, the, the football like if if you're a true football kid, sadly, and this you know because the student athlete still is applicable, at least it should be. I think a lot of these guys are just like, okay, which school could, will best uh, get me to the NFL? Right. And, you know, and, and now with the transfer, transfer portal stuff and, you know, like, like Nick, Saban, Nick Saban said, um, when somebody asked him about, you know, are you worried about this transfer portal and, you know, everything that's doing in college football, he goes, not really. Not, it won't affect any of my good players. You sit, you watch. And none of his good players will ever leave. I mean, they won't. I mean, they're going to get drafted in the first round or the second round or maybe if they're just, an, maybe if they're the backup, they might go in the third round. But I mean, right. you know, the, the, these... And even the one rare occasion where he does have somebody leave when Jalen Hurts leaves. Well, he's got two Atalaya and Mac Jones ready right. to go. So he's got two top fifteen picks right. on the two deep. It, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. College football is in a really good place, but I also think it's in an interesting place too. Because we, you think it's in a good place? I, I, I think it's in a horrific place. Well, well, but why? Because I think that there's. I think there's literally only eight teams that can win the national championship. But how many? I mean, twenty years ago, do you think there was more than eight teams? All, that can win I'm, the national all I'm saying is here's here's what's broken about college football. Oregon and Washington and pretty much any team west of the Mississippi has zero chance to win the national championship. That's crazy. If you don't, if if Oregon has more money than God and they still can't buy a seat at the table, well, it's hard to get there. It is. It, 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 I mean, it's not easy to get there. I mean, just sweet. I mean, you've get, we've now talked about twenty different examples. I, I I guess I should rephrase this. I, I think that there right now there are about let, let's just roughly there's about. 250 teams playing Division One football. About 120 playing FBS and about 130 playing FCS. I would say 
200 of those 250 teams have literally, they're not playing for anything. They, they have nothing to play for. I think the group of five is the dumbest thing in the world. Yeah, I, I can't disagree there. All, all I was saying was in terms of um, how much money these these programs are bringing into not just the school, but their, their communities. I mean, college football is a huge, huge oh, for sure. thing. The revenue portion of it has never been better. Right. I mean, it's it's that's got to be, I don't know, but it's got to be good. Oh, yeah. The transfer the transfer portal and some of the, you know, the name and image likeness stuff, I think some of those things are, are really the, the bad things in college football right now. And, sure. and the fact for the, I mean, not that I get to be just a fan, Maybe it is probably getting a little old to see the same two sure. to four teams in there every year. But I guess that's a shame on everybody else, too. I was thinking about this the other day. Colt Brennan, legendary quarterback from Hawaii. He tragically passed. We've been talking about death a lot around here, man. This It's actually very sad. But Colt Brennan abruptly passed away at the age of 37. I guess it was probably about 10 days ago, maybe two weeks ago. But he was a legendary quarterback for the University of Hawaii. I was thinking about this, and maybe this is just time and place and how old I was at the time or whatever. There's there's personal circumstances that goes into this, but I remember staying up late to watch Colt Brennan in Hawaii a lot when, when he was playing in the mid-2000s. You couldn't get me to sit down and watch a, a, a non-Power 5 college football game if my life depended on it now. And maybe that's me. Maybe that's on me. But I just I think that sort of the allure of... of of uh, the non-SEC schools was was better 15 years ago. Yeah, and, and I can't disagree with that. I guess I guess um, I mean two two things. As a competitor, you know, are, are those big three going to slow down? No, I mean they're going right. to they're going to keep stacking the chips. I mean, you you want to play catch up, catch up. That's that's on you, not us, for sure. And then how do you fix it? Is it expanding the playoffs? Right. Is it, you know, what, what's the answers? Because I still feel like if you expand it to eight sure. or 12 sure. or 16 sure. or whatever, some of those, mag- I mean, the NCAA got yeah. 62 different things that they talked about or whatever in their little session. I still feel like even if you expanded the playoffs, you're going to see those top four or six teams in there. Uh, and I think you most 99% of the time see the same result right now. For you know? sure. And so, uh, and, and the other thing is, so circle back to 2005, you would have saw, you would have looked at USC and you would have said, who's ever going to beat USC? How do you ever beat USC? USC's got to roll it. Every guy that plays for USC is going to the NFL. Or even early 2000s. did. Or early 2000s, Miami. Yep. How, how do you ever catch Miami? Well, what brought those two programs down? Scandal, right? Whether it was and the coaching Reggie, changes. The coaching changes, but I mean, the recruiting stuff at USC sure. with Reggie Bush and then, you know, the, the legendary or infamous stories of the Miami party boats and sure. yada, 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 Donna Shalala and, and all that stuff. But here's the thing that's crazy is that the, the money-making machine that is Alabama and or Clemson and or Ohio State football is so profound right now that, they, I mean, you're talking about probably, I mean, you used to go to staff meetings with what 10 or 12 guys you're talking about staff meetings with 60 or 70 guys right you got 10 dudes who it's their job to make sure you have no scandal they literally have you got 10 dudes that just send recruits texts all day you got 10 more dudes to make sure that there's not a bad headline in the paper right. it's not possible for these guys to get in trouble there's no way for this to ever get derailed i don't think well and, that, and that's that's the saving effect on what he's done i mean he he he's gonna go find every loophole without breaking the the rules and you know he, he's got he's got so many coaches and like you, like you're saying these staff meetings of thirty to sixty people. I mean it's if if I if I'm if I'm correct on this, I don't think they had one kid miss a game or miss any time for COVID or it was some crazy number. They not said, one positive COVID test within the whole organization. Right, and that's 
for your, now, it's a well-run organization. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> it is. You know, I mean, ESPNU, my, my old coach, Coach Rick Neuheisel, has a, it's called a Full Ride. It's on every morning. And every time they start talking about Alabama football, which is a lot, they start bringing on Star Wars, the, the Death Star music. Uh, dun, 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 dun. But, hey, I mean, it's, everyone says the same thing about the Patriots. And, you know, listen, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And, you know, compliments to what they've done. Because until he retires, I don't see him slowing down. I mean, they're they're that they're just reloading, and a lot of times they're not even reloading; they're just getting better, which is insane. He he has a dozen former FBS coordinators that are on his Nick Saban that are on his staff as assistant strength coaches because there's a loophole in the rules where you know this you can only spend a certain amount of time with players if you're a, a, a on staff coach the defensive coordinator only gets what 20 hours a week during season eight hours a week out of season right. whatever right. and obviously guys can swing by your office and they can right. do stuff on their own that's whatever. what you encourage is, is sure. them being around sure. a lot sure sure but you're talking you got the former DC at Mississippi State as an analyst, who's the assistant <laughs> right. defensive line strength coach. Yeah. So now, while the strength coach is working these guys out, he's just implementing schemes, and they're talking football, and they're talking, okay, well, this is what we're going to do on this gap blitz, or this is what we're going to yeah. do. I mean, so they're literally learning football at all times. All the time. I know it's crazy. If you ever want to have a fun time, you want to have a little belly laugh. Go look up the budgets of some of the SEC programs, and then the salaries that accompany them. I mean, you got like assistant athletic trainers making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. You got assistant strength coaches making three hundred thousand dollars a year. The money is just asinine. It's insane. We talked about this last year when when uh, oh, what's his face? He was the head coach at, at Colorado, and he bolted for Michigan State. Uh, tell me, can, can, can tell, you tell me again. We talked Mel about Tucker. The, Mel Tucker. Yeah. And everyone in Colorado football is up in arms, right? And there's yep. so you know we were betrayed, and you know he's well. If you thought he was that good. Pay him. Right. I guess that, that's what I, I'm saying is pay him. If he's that good, if you're going to get ticked because he's going to go make twice his salary, or it was more than twice, he went from like two and a half to six or something crazy. Right. Then pay the guy. Right. And, if, and if you want to be cheap and think cheap, then enjoy those average years. I mean, we talk about Colorado. They've won one or two bowl games in the last 20 years. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. But you don't you don't pay your coaches. I mean, that's why Coach Newheiser left. Coach Newheiser, everyone thought, oh, you know, and I was ticked. I was ticked. And he became one of the few million-dollar guys at the time. And now now there's, I don't even know how many coordinators making a million bucks coaching oh, college man. football. You know, oh, and yeah. everyone, you know, Coach Newheiser left us, and I was one of those guys. But financially, he's like, well, I can go to Washington and double my salary, and, you know, life, life's pretty good. So, anyway, money. Money, 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 money. I mean, we saw it this year, at MSU. I guess, I guess right. Co- Coach Chote, I guess, reached the ceiling, which is just beat the Grizz every year and, and finish third in the conference. And I, I don't know. I mean, again, are you are you building something, or you, know, you take the half a million to go coach linebackers? Yeah. Uh, which I mean, again, money. I don't know how else anyone can argue it. It's it's a it's money, money, money. It's a big business, big and, business. And, and a, a lot of these guys are, I don't know, they're just looking out for themselves and enjoy it while it lasts. Because as you see every year, it will end in a hurry because they will fire you for wearing the wrong, wrong color shirt that day. So. Nuan is now 1029 ESPN Missoula, SWX Montana Television around the great state of Montana. Quick hitters with Coach Ty. Keep it right here. 
After a long couple of months, it's finally feeling like we're getting back to business as usual. But it's not the usual at all. At Missoula's Wingate, we are, as always, committed to giving you a relaxing stay at a great value. But we're also balancing the new guidelines, like maximum pool occupancies and increased disinfecting, to protect your health with a never-ending pledge to make you feel at home when you're not. If you find yourself on the road in the Missoula area, please consider staying with us at Missoula's Wingate. ESPN Radio. Monday. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. You're listening to Nuanez now. I'm Coulter Nuanez. Ty Gregorak joining me in studio. It's been a fun show so far. About to have some more fun. You want to get involved in the show? Hit us up. We got a new phone number 888-1029. That's 406-888-1029. All guests join us via the Rangers Brothers RV phone line. You can call or text that. Got any questions, comments, feedback, whatever. Prompt us. Let us know what you're thinking. 888-1029. Okay, these are these are just some quick hitters. Coach Ty, for those that haven't been paying attention, coached in the Big Sky Conference for well, 15 total seasons, right? Since two, so this is all dating back to 2003. So over the last 17 or 18 years, but 15 seasons, and uh, got to see a lot of guys, got to recruit a lot of guys, got to uh, coach a lot of guys. Who do you remember being like that the biggest big time recruit, or like the guy where you were like, man, do we have a chance to get this guy? Either at Montana or Montana State. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a <laughs> that's a tough question because um, a lot. Of this, it's an interesting question from this level because yeah. so many of your best players were guys that were not recruited by anybody. That were quite frankly like half scholarship or, or walk on guys. Right. So, so in terms of best recruit, that's a tough answer because I, when I became a coordinator here and then a coordinator at Montana State, I would do in-state home visits for a lot of the defensive guys. Right. But my recruiting area was never in Montana. I was always out of state. So whether that was Washington or Colorado or Minneapolis or wherever. But, you know, so I've seen a lot of really great recruits that didn't come to Montana or Montana State. I mean, I saw, I mean, I've seen a lot of great players. I can specifically remember going to see, like in terms of being there in person and watching Matt Miller play football in high school. For sure. Where you're just sitting there going, and again, I don't think any of us truly in our heart of hearts believed he would stay in state. <laughs> For sure. Well, his his mom was going through some health issues. And, mm. you know, the 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 coach Delaney half is so, uh, or the glass is so half full always. Thought that maybe there was a chance just with with his mom's health issue. Ultimately, I think that's probably why he went to Boise State, even though Boise is a great you know a great football program, and he had an unbelievable career there. But seeing Matt Miller play, um, I don't, I think it was one of the Missoula schools. But you're just like, oh my gosh, this this kid is nothing short of special. He was unbelievable in high school, and, I, and obviously a great college player too. Yeah, I mean, I it's actually. So, so there, there was actually two, two. My brother's class, my brother's a year older than Matt Miller, and then the class right after had uh, a, just an amazing amount of great athletes in them. Whether you talk about Matt Miller, who, if it wasn't for a bad ankle injury, would have been an NFL guy for sure. I mean, still the all-time leader in receptions and receiving yards at Boise State. And they've had a lot of good ones at Boise State. Brock Osweiler, 
who went to Arizona State. And I mean, you can say what you want. Brock Osweiler might have quote unquote flamed out in the NFL, but like, dude made seventy five million dollars and he played in the Super Bowl. So, so <laughs> you can say whatever you want, but he made it happen out of out of Kalispell, Montana. Jordan Tripp from right here yeah. in Missoula. Brock Coyle from yeah. Bozeman. Like there was a lot of really good guys in Montana. No Josh Hustis. I mean. What high school class can you say had a guy that went on to play quarterback in the Super Bowl, went on to be a first-round draft pick in the NBA, and then is one of the all-time greatest players in the history of a school that has great football tradition? I mean, that's what's three guys from one class in Montana. Pretty darn good. Yeah, and and like I said, it's kind of a loaded, tough question because I've seen a lot of really, really good recruits. I mean, I used to watch practice at Valor Christian in Denver. I mean, you're like, (laughs) really? Maybe could get that guy? No way, no way, no way. Maybe, don't want him? No way. Um, But no, just... In terms of in terms of physically seeing something where you're like that just looks different. Watching Matt play high school football here in this state was you're like in no way we're ever getting that guy. Well, the craziest part is that he was as good, if not better, of a basketball player, and right. he, his best sport was track. There's no question about it. I mean, he's, he's Matt Miller, Gabe Solser. Those are the two best hurdlers in the history of the state of Montana. Right. So uh, pretty good company. Matt Miller, <laughs> he is an amazing athlete. It was fun having a front row seat because I got to watch him ever since he was like six sixth grade. Because I mean, he's in Helena Brooks was in. Was a little, so they were playing AAU against each other and everything, so uh, it was fun watching. Okay, so here's another one for you. We were talking about this before the show, but this is sort of a tough one. Best junior college guy, because there hasn't been hardly any junior college guys that have been recruited to either, either school. I actually thought of one since since we were talking about this before the show. Munchie Filer from Montana State, that has to be one, because he was an all-conference guy his one year at Montana State. I mean, yeah. that's that's the only real JC guy I can really remember that... that kind of rose up. I thought of actually a couple more just right off the top of my head. Wasn't Andrew Schwink a junior I, college I believe guy? so. But, and, but, and he was but, a pretty good corner. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we've had... Listen, when, when we had this place rolling really, really well, we never relied... I mean, we, we would go get JC guys to fill an immediate need, but I'm telling you, nine out of ten times, those guys didn't do a whole lot in my mind. We had some good ones that were serviceable, don't get me wrong, and I, I can't think... I mean, I coached linebackers at Montana for 12 years, and I'm trying to think if we had one junior college transfer. <laughs> not not drop-down, but even drop-down. I'm trying to think if we had a, 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 an unbelievable drop-down at that position. I mean, Craig Oaks was a great Jeremiah drop-down. Jeremiah Cosa was a junior college guy, wasn't the, the, he? Yes, he was. That's, that's, the, that's the best one. That, that, that's the best one. No, I, I, I appreciate. I never think of of, of of Maya that way because he was Lange's cousin, right? And uh, he was here for three. He wasn't he a three year guy. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But yeah, Maya, Maya ended up being a really, really good player his his last couple of years here. So that that is a good one. Um, but yeah, I mean, even those the, that last generation there with. Uh, uh, um, Herbert, what, we got Herbert. Herbert got a high, high school guy. We watched him run the hundred. And we're like, yeah, no, no brainer. Yeah, uh, Maya ended up being a good player. Yeah. Kendrick Van Ackeren was a four. Well, he was a dropped. Guy. No, he was not. He he actually. Oh, he was started, from Hawaii. He's, he's, That's right. right. We That's recruited right. him uh, out of Bellevue. We had such a good thing going out of Bellevue for so long, but but yeah, uh, Maya Maya ended up being a, a really good player. I thought in his last couple of years here, and and uh, but you know we didn't. We didn't count on those guys. I mean, we just we had a good thing going with all of our Montana guys and, and our high school kids, and then every now and then, um, you know, the Craig Oaks and uh, sure. you know Josh Schwager was here for a little bit, and we, we had some quality four year guys. But we, like I said, I, nine out of ten times, I, I think we 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 pressed a little, and it didn't work out. Well, especially the positions that you were. I mean, you were you, you primarily as a position coach were coaching linebackers. Yep. That's a spot where at Montana or Montana State. 
you don't really need to go much farther outside. I mean, even if you, you shouldn't have to. No, you I shouldn't. Mean, no. Most of the best linebackers you coach, like at Montana, I mean, Kyle Ryan and right. Warren Utterback and yep. Brock and Jordy and all these guys. Shane all McIntyre, Shane Ka- McIntyre, Kyle Ryan. All, all, yeah, all they're those. all Montana guys. Yep. Uh, but, I mean, that last generation, like you ju- we just talked about three guys who their senior year I thought were three of the best. Well, two of them were first team all conference players in Herbert, Maya, and Kenny. Not one was a Montana boy. True. So that was kind of the end of an era because we'd always had. Now, uh, on that. In that same group, we had Connor Lepsock and sure. other good Montana boys. But um, yeah, we you know we didn't. Well, okay, Caleb wasn't a Montana kid. Caleb, I, I kind of it's Idaho West, sure, or right, Montana right, West. Right, I mean, right. uh, Tyler Joyce. Remember Tyler ended up of having course, a great Spokane career. Guy. No, 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 he was Colorado. A Colorado, guy. Colorado. That's right. That's right. Um, so you know, we again, it's just getting getting the right fit. I mean, we we recruited mostly you know mountain and west, uh, the Rocky Mountains and west and. Again, I just I was never a big proponent for JC kids at all. Um, and if you needed to go get one, you, sure, you had to make sure he was the right guy. And I just we had such a good thing going for so long, we just didn't need a ton of those guys. But like you said, you named um, you know a couple corners, especially and some kids that were serviceable. But I can't think of one guy in my mind that was a junior college player, other than maybe Maya Kose his senior year, that was just a, a fantastic go get JC guy. Can you think of a guy that, that got away, that you, that you thought you were going to get that you didn't get on either side of it? Uh, I mean, there, yeah, there's always, there, there's always, I mean, anymore, some of these kids make you wait till the end, you know, and they want to sure. do their stupid hat thing in school. <laughs> and, you know, uh, this is your favorite thing. Uh, Honored and blessed to receive. Hashtag. <laughs> but, you know, it, it uh, you know, in my, in my last year there, we went and got, um, uh, 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 Isaiah Afonso, yeah, and he kind of made us wait last minute. I, I, I went hard on him. I kind of an undersized guy, but I love the way he played. Man, and, 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 and Coach Choate and I were in cahoots on that one. Like his stature is not necessarily. I mean, especially the pounding these guys take for sure. But he plays bigger than he is. Oh yeah, and I. Uh, we, uh, that one was scary at the end because I really felt like we deserved to get him. You know, there's always those who are like, wait a sec, I worked my butt off recruiting you and you're going to go there? Come on. But we ended up winning that one. The one, ones that got away, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I know they're out there. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, right now, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad. I, I, I'm, I'm, put, <laughs> I'm putting together my flag football cards for next fall. I, I love mean, it. You know, I love J- it. J- J- Jax is finally of age to play at the kindergarten. He's played for two years. Sure. And this is the first time he'll play with kindergarten kids. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, we've definitely done the Dominican pitcher in the Little League World Series and lied. We've definitely lied about his age for two years. We're, we're actually sending him to a football camp this summer, and, and he's not even technically old enough, but nobody nobody questioned me on it. So, uh, no, nah, ones that got away, I'm sure there's lots of them. I'm, they're out there. 1029 ESPN Missoula, you're listening to Nuanas Now. You're about to be listening to the Missoula Paddleheads. They opened up their season on Saturday night with a great win. They were rained out yesterday, so they got a doubleheader tonight, including the first game, which starts at 6 p.m. So that's about 13 minutes from now. And so, as the affiliate for the Missoula Paddleheads, we're going to take it right up to the action. So one more break, and then we're going to do a little de facto pregame show to end Nuanas Now and begin the Missoula Paddleheads broadcast, first weeknight broadcast with Jeff Safford, the new voice of the Missoula Paddleheads. More with Jeff. Recapping Saturday's action and previewing tonight's game. Keep it right here, 102.9 ESPN Missoula. 
Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more. One, two, three. That is now on ESPN Radio. It rained all weekend, but it is officially baseball season in Missoula, and that means we're going to have baseball on the radio almost every single night for the duration of the summer. Very excited again to be the official affiliates for the Missoula Paddleheads. Welcome back to Nuanez Now, 1029 ESPN Missoula, statewide television, SWX Montana TV. Thanks so much for spending some time with us here on your Monday. I'm Coulter Nuanez. Ty Gregoriak joined me for the, most of this show. If you missed anything with Coach Ty, we talked everything from the uh, the demise of certain programs in college football. What happened to the Tennessees and Nebraskas and USC's of the world? How did some programs like Oregon and Boise State replace them in terms of the national conversation? Also, a somber remembrance of Mike McGowan, former Grizz linebacker who lost his life last week and uh, was a pivotal member of the Missoula community. And so, uh, melancholy, happy trails to Mike. We also talked... Um, some quick hitters for Coach Ty, which was fun as well. And a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Ryan Tutel joined us as well. So if you missed anything in the show, you can find it on the podcast. The podcast is available on all your podcast hosting platforms. Just type in N-U-A-N-E-Z. That'll take you there. Nuana's Now podcast proudly presented by the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel, Blackfoot Communications, and Sportsbet Montana. We are about seven and a half minutes from first pitch tonight. There's two games down there at Ogren Park Allegiance Field here in Missoula. The Missoula Paddleheads got their season off to a great start on Saturday with a big-time win. Then yesterday's game was rained out, and so we'll have full coverage of the doubleheader for you tonight on 1029 ESPN Missoula. And you can hear the sounds of the stadium already. So we go now to the Rangers Brothers RV phone line and welcome in our good buddy and the new voice of the Missoula Paddleheads, Jeff Safford. Jeff, what's going on, my man? How's things down at the park? Going pretty well so far. Just getting ready for game two of this three-game series. Uh, should be a good one between the Voyagers and Paddleheads tonight. So you, your first call for the Paddleheads. I know you've done a lot of minor league baseball in your career, but your first call for the Paddleheads on Saturday night. So to set the scene for us, I know it was a little bit of a drizzle, but also a great offensive performance by the Paddleheads. But also... On a personal level, your first call call on this team. So what was it like for you personally, and what did you think of the action on Saturday? Wow, it was, it was sure a lot of fun to be here at the yard on Saturday nights. It was a good crowd on hand. I believe the official attendance was around 2,000, and everybody was fired up. They had the players riding in on rafts, kind of classic Missoula style. Of course, you got to throw in a river rafting reference in there somewhere, right? 
And uh, it was just a fun game. The offense had a little bit of a slow start, but once the offensive bats kind of got going, they took over the game. They outscored great balls, nine to nothing in the last four or five innings or so. And it was just great to be out here at the yard. Feel great to be in Missoula, and I'm excited about a fantastic season that lies ahead. 11 runs in your first outing is definitely an outstanding offensive performance. It seemed like there was a lot of factors that went into it, though I was looking at the box score and I was writing it in the Sports Center today. I think six of the runs were, were unearned. So was that sloppy play on the Great Falls Voyager side or, or taking advantage of opportunities by the Paddleheads or a mix of both? I mean, just take us through sort of how the Paddleheads were able to put forth such uh, a good offensive performance in night one. Well, offensively, I think a lot of it, I think you kind of touched on. It was a little bit of both. Um, Great Falls had a couple of defensive miscues. There was one, particularly in the sixth inning, that allowed Missoula to take the lead kind of for good, where Great Falls had kind of bounced back and forth with the lead in the earlier innings. There was a it was a ball hit out into left field, and it was dropped, and it would have been the third out, and kind of kept the inning alive, and Missoula took the lead and kind of took over from that point. But there were also some great at-bats in that ball game as one as well. Luke Navigato had an at-bat in the fifth inning that, in particular, I thought was great, where there was a runner on at first base. Defense was in double play depth. They didn't try to do too much, just put it right in the hole in right field, and that's just knowing the situation. Not trying to be the big guy, so to speak. He just knew that he poked his ball right into the hole on the first base side that he would get on base and he would put his offense into a good situation to try to score some runs. And that's all you can look for. Missoula's minor league baseball team had an ownership change a couple years ago. And then they played the 2019 summer under the new ownership. And then they went through a full rebranding and changed their name from the Missoula Osprey to the Missoula Paddleheads. And then there was 616 days where they had to wait before they actually debuted as the Paddleheads. But it sounded like it was an awesome turnout on Saturday night. 2,000 people, which is a sellout considering they can only have 50% capacity right now as we continue to try to get back to normal here. But just tell us about the, the, the scene, the fans. Uh, was, was it a good atmosphere there on Saturday night? It sounds like a pretty good turnout to watch sort of the, the restart of what's been a, a long time without minor league baseball here in the Garden City. Absolutely. It was a great turnout with the fans. They were fantastic. Even talking with Michael Schlack and some of the players after the game, they were like, wow, those fans were outstanding out there at the yard, kind of firing them up. And, of course, they kept some of the old traditions from the Osprey back in the day as well. They still have the peanut inning going, so the fans were getting into that, and they had some great in-game promotions. And there's just something about coming out to a minor league baseball park. There's always something fun going on for the whole family that's just not something you see if you go to a say a Seattle Mariners game or a Giants game or something like that in the major leagues. So it's it's just a different experience. It's the hometown team. And how can you beat being out here in Missoula looking out at the mountains? You got Osprey. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.